When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. Tool, practice, lesson, and something to do when you aren't neck deep in code. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. We are here in Johannesburg. Joburg, does everyone call it Joburg? Joburg. Joburg, uh, South Africa, with the co-founders of Bridgman, Simon Stewart. Simon, welcome. Thank you, thanks, Michael. And Dan Goldberg, or Daniel, what should we call you? Yeah, Daniel's good. All right, co-founders of Bridgman. Joburg, born and raised. FinTech company, as they say. At a high level, what do you guys do? So at a high level, we, uh, we've created a fintech solution to help small businesses get financed really quickly. So you're looking at um, not your average customer or not traditional banking's typical customer, I gather. Uh, there's some overlap with traditional banking, um, but also we're trying to serve businesses that are overlooked by banks. Now, what are your backgrounds? So is this your first startup that you founded, uh, your fifth, your tenth? What is it? So for me, it's my second. I was involved with another fintech or reg tech startup focused on um, KYC and AML compliance in financial services. Simon? I've been involved in a few other startups before, and I've also run my own business for a long time. So I, I really see the pain of, of getting financing and having to kind of grovel with the banks. Were all your startups based here in, and founded here in Johannesburg, um, or in South Africa at the very least? They were, yes. What is it like to build a company here and why here? You guys have done it now two times for you, Dan, and five times for you, Simon. Why? I, I, th I think it's, it's still an emerging market, which yeah. I think is maybe a bit of an overplayed uh, term. But there's a lot of opportunity, and there's also a lot of uh, software development skills, which often gets overlooked. Uh, and that's changing slightly, but it's, it's definitely a, an opportunity to find really good people. Yeah, and it's an opportunity to sort of go from here to a massive population of people, um, obviously, you know, across Africa and then and then some, right? So Exactly. So we, we are aiming to get it right in South Africa and then we can branch out from there. Right. All right. Well, let's get to these questions. Simon, we'll start with you. A tool that you use on a regular basis. And sure. you're the CTO. I should say, like, you are the technical guy on this team, which isn't to say, Dan, that you're non-technical, but... Your shirt's nicer than Simon's, I'll just say that. No, that's fine. So definitely a tool for me, and I'm not going to go the usual MacBook or iPhone or whatever Dan's going to choose to put him under pressure. Uh, one of the tools I use to just keep myself really relaxed and also to tone down the dress code in the office uh, are my reef fanning sandals, which, ah. which are, are Guy Kawasaki's um, pitch in his, in his uh, MySQL keynote, where it's got a bottle opener underneath. So it's double double use. Very nice. And uh, of course, you only open bottles of mineral water with that, I'm sure. And exactly. For, not for not people, quite sanitary, but anyway. For, for people know. fanning, it's Mick Fanning, famous uh, curmudgeonly Australian surfer, and shark. Shark puncher, yes. Shark that's puncher. It. You should look for that video. It's frightening. I like it. Your Mick Fanning channels. And it, it brings the sort of the aloha spirit, or whatever that version is here in South Africa, to the office. And, and drops the dress code in the office as much as I can. 
as, as much as I can avoid the investors wearing sandals, that's that's what I do. I like it. I like it. Dan, a tool that you use on a regular basis. And you can't say flip-flops with bottle openers. Yeah, I, was yeah. Gonna, I mean, that's just completely upstaged me. I, uh, mine's not going to be nearly as exciting, but mine's probably my Apple Watch. I'm a, a bit of a nutcase when it comes to tracking things. And when it comes to tracking like how my body works and my, its performance over time, I love it. Um, in terms of you know heart rate, sleeping cycles, and things like that. And so having my watch as uh, the Apple Watch has been an awesome tool for, for doing that. And you've gotten past the whole, I'm looking at my watch, like time's up here, this conversation has gotten boring, like people don't. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. One of the first things I did when I got the watch was switched off all notifications. Right. Uh, because I, I don't know, I don't need notifications coming to my, my wrist. I'll, uh, I'll decide when I want to get notified by looking at my phone. Right. I have to say, for those of you who hear this sort of slightly trancey music in the background, we are at the opening day of the Joburg Loft here, um, and so that's why the celebratory sounds, I think. All right, Simon, back to you. A leadership practice or routine, something that you do with, with your team that, that you find that works. Sure. So this is one that comes from uh, Dr. Deming. He was an uh, economist from, um, I think he died in the early 90s, uh, but he was one of the people that was pivotal in turning Japan around and, you know, after the war, and that's driving out fear which is such a simple thing to say, but it's, it's an important thing. And that's like an example would be making sure people can give feedback without fear of, um, you know, admitting that they've made a mistake. So, and so, so is that, I mean, is that how you do it? Like, how do you implement that then to, to make sure that, you know, your, your colleagues and your team don't have that fear? Me personally is uh, being, being open to asking stupid questions if I don't understand something. Right. Uh, which your tech team here will will admit that I asked <laughs> ask many stupid questions. That's what they're here for. That's, that's um, what you got to do, otherwise you don't learn. Right, right. And if you fear that there's going to be repercussions or something, you're not going to do it, and then you don't grow. Right, and so you guys as, a, as an organization are open to people just like, hey, I don't get this, I don't agree with this, I, you know. Anyway, putting yourself exactly. out there. Exactly, so it's from both sides. It's something, that you, if you don't agree with something that somebody else is doing or some decision, that's, that's important. And also, if you don't understand something that you're doing, to ask questions. Right, so driving out fear, I like that. Dan? Transparency is, is probably one of the biggest um, things for me. It's a fundamental value of our business, you know, externally with our customers, but more importantly, internally um, with our team. I feel like everyone has visibility on everything and there's really nothing to hide. Some of the advantages are around everyone being on the same page and you know we're all in the same ship. Everyone knows how the business is doing, what the business's major priorities are. Everything is, is always uh, visible to every employee if they, if they want to know. In terms of how we enforce it, um, from, from, from me personally, it's just a matter of if there's any new information or anything going on in the business, I will usually um, sort of proactively make a point of notifying and educating the rest of the team so that they're aware of those things, even if it has nothing to do with them. Obviously, without distracting them uh, and giving them completely unnecessary information. Right, right. Uh, I like it. So driving out fear and transparency. All right, let's move on to a lesson learned. Simon. So for me, the, the most important thing is admitting that you don't know something, which I guess ties in with the, the previous point I made. You know, there's definitely been times that things have come up that I, I don't know or don't understand, whether it's 
on the technical side, which I try and hide from Daniel, uh, <laughs> or the business side, in which case it, it, it spurs on a conversation, which the whole team benefits from. But how did you learn that lesson? Were, were you one of those people who, and we've all been there, where you're like, wait, I don't want to appear like I'm not the CTO or the, you know, the person who should know everything. And did you not ask the question or not admit that you didn't know it or understand it? And then that had a bad knock-on effect. So I joined the business at a point that I was almost double Daniel's age. Uh, not quite, but kind of heading in that direction. So I, I, it's not my first rodeo. So I've definitely seen the disadvantages of trying to hide a weakness. Yeah. And I think owning up to it very seldom has a negative consequence. And right. if it does, it, it probably means you're in a really bad team as opposed to you're not being, being adequate enough. Yeah, that's very fair. I think you don't necessarily want to work in that kind of an environment or that culture if you can't admit to, hey, I don't know everything, sorry. Especially with uh, in the technology space, things change like every 10 minutes. So to try yeah. and pretend that you know everything just is not going to work well. Daniel, lesson learned. It's, uh, I, I can't remember, was it Reid Hoffman uh, who, who said it? I think uh, so. Basically, the principle is: if you're not embarrassed of your product when you launch, you've launched too late. And it's something that uh, I've seen, uh, I struggle with particularly because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I like to make things perfect before launching them, and typically that results in us taking too long to necessarily launch something or push something to production so that our, you know we can put it in our customers' hands. And yeah, that's something that I've had to had to learn. And, uh, and overcome. The interesting thing is that, especially in the software world, it's one thing if you make an object, a piece of whatever, electronics or sculpture or whatever, there it is. But in software, it's kind of never done, is it? So I don't know if perfection is even within the realm of possibility, yeah. but but it, I, I get, get what you're saying. Simon, for you, I mean, is perfection as a technologist and as somebody who's kind of thinking about the code, is that really something that you even consider? Uh, certainly trying to be perfect, I don't think is right, uh, but certainly trying to make improvements and, and make sure that every time we release something to production or release a new, a new bit of code, that things are getting better. Right. So getting better as opposed to trying to be perfect, if, if you can see the difference from my side. Right. Yeah, and Dan, back to you, like if you wait for perfection, you've got, gotten too late. Is there the possibility of going way too early? Like we're going to shove out this hairball of a product and like, you know, Hope for the best, and then we'll make it better. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there is definitely a stage where it's uh, potentially too too early, and you may, you know, put a product in the customer's hands, and it won't work, or it won't d deliver that sort of minimal minimum viable product or value to to the customer. Right. And for startups, that could be a death kind of absolutely. nail right there, right? Absolutely, it can destroy your credibility. Once you give a customer a poor experience, it's very difficult to get them back. Right. Um, so, so absolutely, I think there is a, it is a bit of a balance. Do you have a good way of sort of spidey sense of like that balance between, you know, like you say, too early and too late, imperfection and perfection? Like, how do you try and measure that or feel yeah. it or see it? Yeah, super difficult to, to measure. What I try and do is constantly sort of ask myself, check in with myself, um, you know, fairly frequently whether something is ready to put in our customers' hands and what could go wrong if it's not, you know, where I think it needs to be. So constantly just asking myself that. All right, we'll move on to the fun part of the interview. What are you binging these days? So this is going to admit to Dan that I've got some spare time, which maybe is going to come back to haunt me. Uh, I'm actually writing a book on how to have productive weekends 
which I have, I still you're have probably weekends. You're writing it on the weekends, though, yeah. Uh, so I'm actually trying to binge read as many books around that space as possible. So binge reading books about how not to consume so much information. That's basically what I'm doing. All right. Well, give us just a little bit of a taste or a preview of what, how can we have productive weekends and what does productive mean? Well, I think one of the issues that I face, or I think a lot of people face, is is you tend to go through the weekend so quickly. And uh, I'm lucky enough that I actually enjoy the work that I do, but you also want to enjoy the time that you don't have to work, which is the weekend or part thereof. Right. Uh, so it's around trying to get as much done during the weekend without it coming across like you're going through a to-do list. Right. So maybe enjoying as opposed to productive. Right. So personally productive as opposed to professionally productive. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. My wife is good at the, the personally productive part, and I'm not so good at that. But I'm going to read your book. When do we get to uh, see it? Shortly after it's finished, it'll be released. <laughs> Good uh, answer. It's, it's around Good trying to trying to like train yourself for retirement to those two days of the week. Right, Dan. What are you binging on? Don't tell me you're writing a book too. You, no. I've I've written a. I'm directing a movie now. I'm, <laughs> I'm binging on a, a TV series at the moment, uh, Mr. Robot. Um, ah, yes. Absolutely love it. Rami, Oscar-rific Rami Malek, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I, I started binging it before. I like to say that I knew of Rami before, uh, before his recent movie, uh -huh. uh, but absolutely loving it, yeah. Does it scare you? Does it hit too close to home? Like, for example, I can't watch the show Silicon Valley because it just becomes a parlor game of like, oh, who is that? Yeah. This is not any, in any way scary or too close to home for you? Yeah, it petrifies me. <laughs> I, I, it really is scary. Um, and and uh, I think Simon can attest to the fact that when it comes to security, digital security, I'm super paranoid. Right. So watching a TV show like this doesn't do me any favors. Right. Daniel Goldberg and Simon Stewart, co-founders of Bridgman. Thank you guys so much. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts.